Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Suave Talk presented by Bomb, Chevy, and Buick. And get this, if you buy a vehicle from Bomb, you get a lifetime subscription to Flow Racing and DirtOnDirt.com. Quite the deal, especially if you're in your 20s or low 30s. You could get Flow for 60 to 70 years. That's, a, I mean, look at that. That's awesome. Quick note before we get started, Turbo will not be here with me today. He's building a new race car, so maybe you can get a... Get another car dialed in for him to finish off the second half of the season. So I'll be solo dolo today. But joining me is a guy who may have a new nickname, at least in the you know central Illinois area, and it's starting to gain some ground. It's Kyle Strickler. Kyle, your thoughts on the new nickname, Sticky Ticky? <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was all your boys there when I went out and uh, uh, had an awesome time at Fairbury there for the PDC and. Played with all your um, golfing slash drinking buddies, um, which I, I thought they were good at golf, and they're even better at drinking. So I um, had a blast out there, and they gave me this uh, sticky, ticky new nickname. So uh, I guess I'll just roll with it. Yeah, Mike Norris even used it at Eldora, so who knows? It might become a national thing here. But I do like the high side tickler. Describe your golf game, though, to the people at home. I, it wasn't too bad. You had some good shots. Yeah, I mean, that um, that tournament, it was the first year I got to play in the uh, uh, the PDC tournament, and I had a blast. So I'm definitely going to do that uh, in the years to come. But um, I wasn't sure what I was getting into. I didn't realize that those guys were like the course champions and um, Fairberry uh, big wheels when it comes to golf. But um, you and I, we we hit a couple chips and uh, a couple putts, and I think we used one of my uh, one of my drives. But uh, We've been playing a lot here lately, and I my game has steadily improved. Uh, but it's fun when you can play with guys that are at that skill level and and uh, and have as much fun as we did. All right. So did the did the droop rule change at Kokomo make the racing better? Um, I don't know if it was the droop rule. I mean, it was uh, it was cool to stir things up. Um, I think that uh, you know my personal opinion is, and which what do I know, but my personal opinion is that the tire options is what made the racing good. We had a 30 or a 40 option on the right rear and um, that racetrack, you know, a lot of people always put that 40 on for the feature. And um, I think the 30 was the right decision. Uh, hell on Saturday or on Tuesday, I put a 40 on. It was absolutely terrible and was pretty decent 30 or with a 30 on on Monday. So um, I think that that helps the racing more than anything is having uh, comers and goers on tire strategies and, um, having options, you know, if we're all riding around at the same deck height and on the same compound tire, uh, the racing's not going to be great unless the, the racetrack is just phenomenally better or great in two different grooves, uh, which is so hard to do right now. Uh, these cars are so error dependent and, um, it seems like the only way you can really have great racing is to have different strategies and have somebody on a really soft tire trying to get out there and, and then guys coming on harder tires later. Um, so I think that was the biggest part of it, but it was cool to see um, uh, everybody riding around in the bumpers again. I mean, <laughs> I forgot how crazy that was. I saw some, like, ratchet straps pulled down before they're going to attack, like, bars bent in the middle. These guys are going to figure out a way to get below that, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, I I heard that uh, uh, Dennis Herb was trying to prove, prove a point there um, with cutting his T-bar, and I didn't see it personally, but I've seen pictures of it. But uh, So that was pretty funny. Um, and he has a point too. the way they're checking it, you know, it's, 
I don't know. You're not going to stop racers from trying to bend the rules. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was cool. The, the first race because everybody's been kind of getting used to the droop rule. And then we go back and they say, okay, all of a sudden, um, you know, here we are with a, a regular deck height rule. And, um, you know, we were all at Knoxville the night before and didn't have a lot of time to, to really work on, work on our Kokomo setup. And we kind of were digging through, at least I was digging through a lot of my old notes and trying to go back to some of the stuff we did when we had the deck height rule. But um, it was pretty chaotic going through tech. Uh, reminded me a lot of when I first started racing late models and uh, deck height was everything. And they have six crew guys riding on the left side of your car or the bumper of your car trying to go through deck height. All right. Just from your perspective, I was you know talking to people on Twitter today. The Droop rule has been around, though, for a few years, either Ray Cook series. It's been on the Outlaws since 2020. And up until this year, the racing hasn't been ho-hum. Otherwise, we would have heard about it, you know, two or three years ago when it first got started. So is it just part of racing today where everything's so close? Is it bodies or what? Because we have a lot of people on social media who are the experts on this or even the drivers post-race interviews. Or you think it's just a mixture of both? Or are they even just measuring it and doing it a little bit different than they were two years ago? Um, I think some of the things that people are doing to try to help maximize everything they can puts the cars in a tighter window, so to speak. Um, and I honestly, like I said, I, I think a lot of it is tires. Um, yeah. You know, it's, I mean, if the, the droop roll, like you said, it's been the same for forever. And I mean, the, the Ray Cook series, we've run that down here, down south for forever. And, um, you know, the racing was good, but we're on a totally different tire. Um, you know, I remember going out to, to Fairbury um, and running 420s and a 30 or 40 option for the feature, you know. And, I um, mean, hell, at Eldora, I won my first prelim on uh, 420. And we ran 420s or uh, 320s and a 40 right rear at Eldora forever. And it's like, I don't know if the tire shortage um, – push them in the direction of running the 30. I, that's, that's way above my pay grade to who makes the tire choices. But um, I've never ran on a 30 so much. I, I bet I ran on the, the, the 30 compound tire more uh, in the last couple of months than I have my entire career. Um, I think I only ran it maybe three or four times up to the beginning of this year. And now it seems like we run it every single week we go somewhere. Um, and I just don't know if it's, if it's the right tire um for the area we're going to um but i i mean i it changes your car drastically when you have to go from 20s um lm 20s to a, a lm 30 especially on the left rear and, and right front and i think it just it hurts the car so much that then the cars become even more aero dependent um and it which is hurts the racing okay we solved the problem the droop the tires it's a whole bunch of mixture of stuff we were actually in the pit area at Knoxville, me and you, and I was just like, man, so many people are just complaining nonstop, whether it's the drivers, the crews, fans on social media. It's getting out of control a little bit, and you kind of put in perspective a little bit, a little bit to me. You're like, yeah, I know I'm, I get frustrated at times, but at the end of the day, I'm still going up and down the road doing what I love, and it's kind of like a thing you started out as a hobby to do in the first place. Yeah, and I mean – I moved down here to North Carolina in 2006 and was working for the NASCAR teams and all that stuff. And um, I thought I was going to move down here and get me a late model ride. And 
it wasn't until uh, a couple of years ago before I finally made it there. It took way longer than I thought. So um, I think that the guys that some of the guys that have been doing it forever. They kind of take it for granted a little bit or kind of forget that they are living out their dream or, or doing what they want to do. And you know, like I said, at, at the end of the day, we, we get paid uh, to go out up and down the road and, and drive race cars for a living. So um, I think that dirt late model racing from a, influx of money and, and fan perspective um, is really great right now. I mean, there's there's a ton of people that are excited about it and, and we're racing for a ton of money all over the country. So, um, yeah, the races, some of the races haven't been great, but um, I mean, I think that that's, uh, you know, with some minor tweaking uh, that we can we can get that a lot better. And, and I think we just got to have options to where people um, can do different things. If we're all riding around at the same deck height and same compound tire, it's it's going to be a, a you know not not great racing. So hopefully they'll get it figured out. But uh, I still love what I do, even though it's uh, extremely frustrating, especially on the on the late mile side um, after having so much modified success. And but um, I mean this is the Cup Series of uh, uh, of dirt right now, and um, it is it is the highest level of dirt racing for what I'm you know, in my opinion. So, um, it should be tough. Give me a letter grade for your 2022 season. What's the big, the biggest, uh, heartache or struggle for you? Um, and just, I mean, just trying to get better now, I'd say that right now we're at a, um, maybe a B minus or a C plus. I mean, I'd like to, we've had signs of, of speed and, and had some good runs, but, um, just haven't got that late model win at all this season yet. So um, we ran second two nights in a row at, uh, at Alltech in the beginning of the year, and that was on 1300s. Um, so, I mean, I've, I just – I struggle on these 30 tires, and that seems to be what we're running all the time now. So um, we're learning on it. And, I mean, these guys that we're racing against, like I said, are no slouches at all. They've been doing it for a long time, and they're the best in the business. So. It's extremely tough, um, and we have a uh, you know fairly new team um, just starting you know end of last year, beginning of this year, and and two awesome employees with uh, Kenny and Scott, and, you know, but they come from kind of the NASCAR world, so um, the dirt late model setup and jocks and springs and all that stuff is uh, is new to all of us, and um, I think that we'll, uh, we're finding our way. We're we're getting more and more consistent, and and that's how I think you win these races is you start hitting on something and put yourself in position, and then um, before you know it, you'll start knocking off some wins. You know that C's get degrees though. <laughs> Perfect. That's right. I just try to like like high school. Just got to make it through. But all seriousness, how uh, how do you keep just a positive mindset just to keep going, keep grinding? Because like I said. You've been a mod ace for a long time and worked your way up to the late model to, you know, just run those like seventh to fifteenth range, get a couple five top fives. You're in the running for a few races. How do you just keep that uh even keel and stay positive moving forward? I mean, to be honest, I'd you know, hanging out with the fans and racing this modified. I mean, Fairberry was uh was my highlight of the year with that modified win, just uh uh the rowdy backstretch and turn three. Guys, they um, it was awesome. I mean, it was it was by far the highlight of of my season so far, just to see everybody going crazy for a, a mod race like that. Um, 
figuring out that I can still drive a race car and not get too beat down. Um, so I like doing that. And like I said, we're going to go run that this weekend um, at Bedford and, and go have some fun and then get back in the late model. And um, I think it helps my feel too. So I don't kind of get so um, one track minded on the late model side um, and, and kind of open up my mind to some new adjustments or some things I might want to try on my, on my late model. And, um, you know, all the, all the great fans coming over and, and, you know, telling me they're still cheering for me and still pulling for me. And, um, their loyalty is what really keeps me going. How badass was that race at falls, that mod, uh, showcase, you guys are three wide battle actually made uh number one race of the week on flow racing. Just describe that, uh, to the fans just in the cockpit, how badass it was. Cause it was a phenomenal race. Yeah, there's really no better feeling. There's no worse feeling than getting passed at the end of the race for the win, and there's no better feeling than passing somebody um, at the end of the race for a win. And um, that being my first ever win in Illinois and first ever win at Fairbury, um, being able to rip the top like that and and be side by side for the for the win right that close to the end of the race and um, having an awesome clean race and and to be able to do it in front of the Falls faithful. Uh, was huge, but it was, it definitely got my, uh, my heart pumping. And, and it's, like I said, there's no better feeling than that than being able to chase a guy down and pass him for the win. Hell yeah. That was a great race. Vintage falls, close finish at the end. Um, changing gears for a little bit, just put in perspective. I know he's one of your competitors, just JD season this year. It's, it's pretty wild to see that he's approaching $2 million, which something I never, I, I thought I never would see my time here covering dirt late model racing. Yeah, I mean that's just kind of how it goes. If you um, if you hit on something, and um, I tell a lot of people that they got a very good deal right now with um, the way everything the team structured, and and um, he's obviously hitting his stride and at the right point in his career where um, he's making all the right decisions on the uh, on the racetrack and. Uh, the car has speed and and there nothing's falling off the car um so yeah it's crazy to be able to to win that uh win that much money especially when people are talking about um you know breaking a million was always the um was always the mark that everybody i kind of said that or said that was so hard to get to um and so if he gets to two million then it would be you know just like winning winning a million and plus plus the million dollar race so um when you're uh, when things are rolling and you everything's clicking, you have all the confidence in the world, and and it's um, you go out there and just do your deal and um, keep knocking up those wins. But when it's when it goes the other way, it can it can change in a heartbeat. And um, I think that the craziest thing to me is I think that people forget that like what I think it was this season that was one of the longest periods that till JD won a race. I think that like he. Um, went through what was it all through all speed weeks or something without winning a race, and then um, once they started winning, they didn't they just didn't quit. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was like, uh, yeah, it was in May I think when he won his first race, like early May. So kind of struggled out of the bus or out of the get go, but obviously he has things dialed in uh, pretty much here. How awesome is it to just run the cushion at just like a million miles per hour and just hit it and you don't have to load off the gas? I know your nickname is a high side tickler, but what's that like in the cockpit too? Uh, it's, I mean, it's exhilarating for sure. Um, it's most fun when your car is really good and you can enter right on it and just steer right around it wide open and know your car is going to turn. Um, the late models have so much 
more offset or there's a, a bigger distance between the right rear tire and the and the corner of the deck. So it's a lot harder to get up as high in a late mile as you can in a modified. And that was one of the big adjustments that I had to make is, you know, learn my surroundings with, you know, having that extra six inches or whatever it is, eight inches hanging out there that, that, um, you know, it's really easy to get the deck into the, into the wall before the right rear tire hits the grip. But when your car's right, um, it's an awesome feeling to be able to go around there wide open, um, at a place like, you know, I-80 or, or, um, Knoxville, Eldora, um, those places are a lot of fun where, uh, if you have the confidence in your car, so you don't even think about lifting, you just hold her wide open and drive it right around there. It's like hitting the mushrooms in Mario Kart, isn't it? Once you get that little speed burst, it feels awesome. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's These things have a ton of traction, but when it goes away, it goes away in a hurry. And you can feel like you have zero traction. There's been many times this season I felt like I could have my modified have more traction than my late model, but <laughs> we're working on that. All right, fact or fiction, Kevin Kovac was your neighbor once in a long time ago. Uh, a little bit of both. He wasn't my actual neighbor, but it was uh, in the same town or uh, right next to each other uh, town-wise. The towns weren't very big up there in, in Pennsylvania, but uh, I remember Kovac was a big deal writing, writing for the uh, Ariota Race of News when I was growing up. So when you got an interview by him, it was like, cream of the crop, let's go. Yeah, I remember uh, when my parents had race team had a race team and Kenny Brightville was driving for him. And, and then when I started coming up through my career, like if Kevin Kovac called you to do an interview, that was, that was big time. It's like, you almost made it. So if I call you and ask for an interview, how do you feel now? Just whatever. I, I, I mean, I was, what I was going to say, I was kind of how I feel right now when you call me. <laughs> True that Strickler, yeah. you're always a good time on the road. So I love hanging with you and talking to you about racing. Um, All right. Turbo's on the show here. We can kind of talk shit about him a little bit. Well, just your thoughts just on Turbo. He likes to get up on the wood too, but just, hey, don't hold back a little bit. He's not here. He might not even watch this. Yeah, exactly. Wow, I got the, uh, I don't know if it's a, the pleasure of parking next to him or a displeasure because they were having carburetor engine trouble, but I felt like I needed to go over there and just turn that thing off because they started it 50 times a day, revving it. Uh, it felt like I was at the Bang Banger Nationals over there. And um, I even told him when he was wearing his purple suit, I said, Barney, that's enough with starting your car. Um, you, it ain't, you ain't going to fix it. So he was, he was hurting my ears. All right, so I'm going to go reverse roles. You're on the clock. You're going to be the reporter, and I'm going to be the guy answering the questions. You got three questions for me. I'm putting you on the spot just to show you. It's kind of tough to ask you guys these questions. I'm going to let you – do three questions for me, and I'll answer them. Um, who's your top three people to to interview? Top three to interview. I won't even do it in any order, but just throughout my time. Ooh, Bloomquist is one, obviously. That guy gives quotes for days. Yeah. He, uh, you never know what's going to happen or what's, what's he going to say. I've waited like an hour before to get an interview with him, and. No matter what, when that camera comes on him, he's just top-notch, and you know you're going to get a good quote. Uh, Jack Sullivan, he's one of the best, too, during Summer Nationals. That guy, uh, A, you need closed captioning to understand what he's saying, but 
He's a great interview as well. <laughs> and uh, Dale McDowell, just because he has a good perspective on things, he uh, kind of gets uh, how to present himself in good quotes and stuff like that. So I would say those are definitely my top three. But really, I have no problem interviewing everybody. I think they're all very great, and I'm glad they uh, take the time out of the day to get interviews from us. But those are the top three, I think. Uh, all right, next one. Um, so, I mean, I, I imagine it's probably somewhat similar for drivers and, and, and guys like you. Is there racetracks that you absolutely, like, just dread going to or areas you dread going to? Like, it's like we're running a tour and we have to go to somewhere. Like, Turbo has to go to Cherokee Speedway. I, I know that's his favorite place to go to in the country. So, is, is there an area or racetrack that you – have to go to that you dread going to Ooh. so like the summer nationals when we're like in the lane of lincoln we have like two weeks in a row of all these sweet tracks and then we go to like it, it's just because how the week was we went from like all the way down to springfield missouri like six hours out of the way then we stopped at tri-city which is like three and a half and then we drove all the way to clarksville and then we went to Richmond, Kentucky, and then we finally got rained out of Lake Cumberland, which I wish I would have go to. But, like, those week stretches, I always just dread when I'm, like, I'm six hours away from home. And then I end up from, like, western Missouri, and now I'm in Kentucky, then driving back up to get ready for the Prairie Dirt Classic and, uh, you know, other things. And we got rained out. So, like, those week stretches where it's, like, four or five-hour drives in a row. And I'm not going to throw tracks under the bus, which I will. Spoon River, I used to hate going to that place. <laughs> Every time we went there, it was just rubbered up, rubbered up. But ever since, like, 2014, 15, they got the track prep, you know, dialed in a little bit better. And I've seen some good instant classics there. So Spoon River was definitely ones I used to dread, but not so much anymore. But those, like, four or five days in a row where it's, like, three to four hours driving at a time, which, you know, it stinks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And there's nothing worse than having to go somewhere that's far away from home and then get rained out or – um, which I've had that happen. Tons Before you ask my, my third question, though, what's up with like some of these drivers like always begging for rainouts? Like it's gonna rain, call it now. Let's go to Ocean Deck. It's kind of weird. I think it's your job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There is. Um, I think that some of them have. Uh, I call it the NASCAR mentality. Like uh, when I first moved down here to uh, to work in the NASCAR industry, it's like where everybody's getting paid to work on race cars at, you know, extremely high level. And it's like everybody would come to work mad. It's like, well, if you want it to rain out every single night, then why don't you just go do something different? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just like we'll be sitting there at East Bay. We've seen it rain like right before Volusia. And they're like packing the track and it might take like two hours. And everybody's just like, okay, let's call it. Let's go. Let's go home. Let's go to the, let's go to the casino or something. I'm like, Guys, I've never seen you guys yeah. want rain out so bad in my life. Maybe it's a Florida effect, but who knows? What well, I think that some of that, like you get burned out from Florida uh, when you're racing like ten nights in a row. Um, it's always good to have a uh, have a rain out in there to kind of break it up a little bit and and uh, let everybody rest. Which most of us are are too dumb to rest. We usually go to um, go into Daytona and and uh, do anything but rest. As you guys go from Eldora to Fairbury to Knoxville to to, to Kokomo, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was a nine-hour drive home. I got home at ten o'clock this morning and um, have to get back after here so we can get this modified ready to go race. All right, third question. What do you got for me? 
Uh, we kind of talked about it a little bit, but uh, I guess it's not really much of a, a question, but uh, obviously you, you're for all of the internet streaming, broadcasting stuff, but um, how much, I won't even say, because I, I think that it definitely helps it, but how much of a gain and how much does it really help um, the industry as a whole to have all these um, internet broadcasting streaming services where people can watch other races and be involved so much more than they used to uh, 10 years ago. I think streaming definitely helps. I mean, we had guys from your neck of the woods, North Carolina, go all the way up to Fairbury for that Tuesday race and then go to Knoxville because they've seen it on TV. Um, I think it helps sponsors. If you win or you get interviewed, you're going to talk about it and then more people are going to be watching it. And see, we can go back to the old ways where we just race for five grand a night and you guys have like $100 a start. I mean, these races you're racing these last two nights are definitely not going to be happening if streaming wasn't a thing. Now, I don't agree with like, you know, somebody pays a series and then the series, you know, has like four or five, six different races and they're not getting to cut the tracks themselves. Or maybe one track's getting more than they find out that track's getting less. I don't agree with that, but we'll definitely find a way, I think, to help that. But, I mean... If people are complaining because there's no fans in the stands, if you're like, like, if you're really hurting for 30 to 40 people, then maybe you should, you know, look back what we're doing at the program. My thing is like, why are we starting features at 12, you know, at midnight when we have six different classes? That's not a good, you know, viewer experience for the fans. So I think it definitely helps. Yes, there's some things we can definitely improve. Me and you talked about that at Knoxville, but I mean, I think you're crazy or asinine if you don't think streaming helps dirt late model racing. I don't know. That's just my opinion. yeah. I think that all, the, all, all the all the all the naysayers, yeah, all the naysayers. I think that they're. I don't know if they have a reason for hating on it, but I can tell you personally, even though it wasn't a good thing, but the biggest thing um, to happen to me in my late model career when I got the flat tire at Eldora, with it being no fans, um, how much it impacted my career and how many uh, people that reached um, was. I, I mean, it was. I. I I'd like to see the numbers, like if it was a normal race or whatever, that would have happened there where there was no streaming services. I mean, there was people from all over the country because of the situation with COVID and everything um, that were watching that race. And I think that it brought multi uh, divisions, you know, fans from different divisions, sprint car race and asphalt race and Lehmann race. And, um, you know, I have even have guys that from that watched me race big block modifies back in the day that watched me race um late miles that never even go to a late mile race but it's all possible now so i think it's huge for us the, the drivers the sponsors the team owners um for bringing i think it's a big part of why a lot of this money is is coming into the um into the late mile racing right now and and which lets us race for more money yeah and streaming has definitely improved that look how many 50 grand to win shows are maybe People, people and promoters and streamings be like, okay, maybe we don't have to make it 50 grand to win. We'll make it 30 and then, you know, split up the 20 grand throughout the field. That'd be an improvement for those middle, you know, middle run guys, I think. But to say that it doesn't help. And also you can't tell, you can't look at your attendance from 2020 and compare it to 2022. 2020 dirt track racing mm -hmm. was the only thing going on that people were going to. So it brought in a new audience and to make, you know, complaints that, saying, oh, we're not Eldora, Knoxville, or Fairbury, or any of those tracks that have packed houses like Port Royal. Well, I mean, Fairbury and Port Royal started off at like a low, mid-tier dirt track, and they improved 
because the quality of racing is, a good, is good and they have the quality of show is very quick. So there's a lot of things you can learn from that. But the only complaint I have for streaming, I guess, is that like maybe the series aren't paying you know the track. So we can improve on that. But I think, like you said, there's way more pros and cons. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And um, like I said, I think there there's still, and like I said, if you if you improve your program, um, like you said, as a racetrack or whatever, then that's going to bring the fans in, um, and you're going to gain all the the bonus from the streaming as well. So there's definitely racetracks throughout the country that are doing it um, and are for it, and it's helped their their program. So I think some of them should should follow suit. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right, so when you said you had that 10-hour drive or going to another track, how do you keep yourself occupied, like, in the hauler? Like, what do you do? Just check social media. I'm sure you probably drive a lot, but I, it's so taxiing, you guys. I don't know how the hell you guys do it. Um, that's usually where, I'm, where I make all my phone calls um, because usually, like, I hate Smart. talking on the phone unless I'm driving. So, um, you know, it's – like Overton said it to me when he was leaving last night. He's like, we're sitting there talking in the payout line. He's like, just call me on the way home. <laughs> so then I called him and we talked for a half hour on the way home. I tried calling Turbo, but I he, he ran second one night. So I guess he's too good to answer the phone. Classic Turbo. I get it all the time. I get his Snapchats of him like wheeling. B, what is it, BMTF or something like that? Yeah. Uh, no, the... <laughs> B or uh, STMF. STMF. Okay, yeah. If you need to, if you want to know, people listening at home, just go up to him in the pits and say those letters and ask him what it means. What's I your like go to like? Thread. Yeah, they do have a turbo thread shirt. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, with the with the truck on it. Yeah. Yeah. What's your like favorite go to meal inside the hauler? Because you have limited options, obviously. Yeah, and I was I was actually just complaining because it seems like we always spend a ton of money on groceries and there's never anything to eat. But um, it is nice having my parents run the t-shirt trailer and then they have their motorhome, so then usually my mom will cook for us. But uh, um, we did just get one of those pizzazz pizza deals, and those are oh, really good. Um, game changers. And then if we can have a – yes, if we, if we have enough time and we can grill uh, some steaks, those are obviously, you know, my favorite. But – uh, the pizza deal was definitely a game changer. Uh, I think Jeep was the one that got us on that. He had it at Eldora, and he was uh, heavy into the uh, adult beverages and uh, broke out his little pizza maker thing, and we were eating pizza at 2.33 in the morning. Yeah, what's his uh, – he's, he's a Bush light, light guy, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that guy, uh, Jeep, he's, uh, he's the ageless wonder, I tell him all the time. So uh, last question here is, moving forward, what is Kyle Strickler? What's the next step for you? Um, I think my next step uh, or my next goal on my uh, list of accomplishments would be to win a crown jewel. I mean, I've won um, in Word of Outlaws. I've won in um, Lucas Oil um, and been close with crown jewels. But uh, I got to win a crown jewel race. That's that's. Um, what I think is going to help take me to the next level. Um, unfortunately, I got uh, Charlie and Melanie Donaldson behind me, my um, awesome car owners, and we're building a brand new shop. And um, got Scott and Kenny, two great crew guys that um, are older and been been working on race cars for a long time. So 
Um, we got some good things going here. I just kind of got to work on my um, my racecraft, so to speak. And um, we have speed. A lot of times, I just got to learn how to make uh, the right decisions. And um, you know, it's such a mental game in these late models. So once I perfect that, I think sky's the limit, and and we can start knocking down these these big wins. Hell yeah! I think your time is coming here very very soon. We figured out the droop rule. You became a reporter during this interview, and also we found out your favorite snacks and beverages on the road. This is Kyle Strickler on Suave Talks. Thanks for joining, man. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to give everybody a quick shout-out to with uh, Cat Industries, um, Fox Shock, Jarvis Motorsports, um, Donaldson Grading. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, but everybody has helped me out here and, and, and helped me get to this point. And my Screw guys, Kenny and Scott, and uh, my mom and dad, my wife and kids. A lot of road time here, but uh, we're having a uh, we're having a blast, and and uh, we're getting getting things rolling. Thanks, Sticky Ticky. <laughs> we'll see how long that nickname lasts, but uh, I did have a blast out there with them guys. I can't wait for the golf tournament next year.